Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The RiderFlex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360. Fuel your brand. Ben Wright on the Rider Flex podcast. Hi, Ben. How are you? Steve, you know, I got to tell you, I'm doing pretty good, but how about yourself? Man, you're a good-looking guy. Damn. What are, what are, you, you, what are you, were you next model or what, what what's going on? I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm pretty sure this isn't going to have no video. And so we'll get to let the audience just believe what you're saying is true. No, this is video. You're on video. <laughs> I love that hairdo, man. I mean, geez, look at that. Uh, I got hey. a lot of hair, brother. You know, I got to tell you, I, I used to cut it super short because it's crazy curly. And um, I just I just never wanted to mess with it. And then COVID happened and, you know, we all were locked down. And I said, forget about it. I'm going to grow my hair up for the first time in my life. And, and now it's completely just out of control. So how about know, when you were in when you were in high school, junior high or anything, middle school? Did you let it? Did you ever let it? My this is only going to resonate with a, a certain age uh, of listener. <laughs> um, my nickname in high school was Fletch. What? Um, <laughs> I played basketball and. <laughs> My hair curled up in like seventh or eighth grade, right? You'll figure out the timing. Seventh or eighth grade, it just like curled up out of the blue. I had no idea what to do with it. So I started taking a comb and like throwing it out. And uh, it was huge. And I got the name Fletch. I love it. So you played basketball in high school, huh? Were you, were you an athlete? Were you a high school star athlete? What What's scoop? I did. I did. I wasn't the largest school group in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It wasn't the largest school. We were, there was, I think, four divisions. We were in the third division, so close to okay. the top. Right. Um, yeah, I was a decent athlete, man. I, I played all the different sports. Um, basketball is my favorite. We won state uh, six years in a row, our team. We had a really, really good basketball team. And, wow. Um, wow. Sadly, my senior year was year seven, so we lost in the championship, but uh, it was a great run. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't I that, know. you know, when I talk to people your age, if anybody, any sport, if they lost their senior year in the championship game, like it's something that it stays with you forever, doesn't it? Like it never goes away. It's, it's it there. never really, it never really goes away, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, it never really goes away. Kudos to the other team. They shot 92% from the floor, or 92% from the line, Seven. 5% from the floor. They had an absolutely lights-out game. They deserved it. Um, yeah. They played really, really good basketball that day, but, you know, it does. It never leaves you. It never leaves. So you grew up in New Mexico then? I did. Tell me about your family, mom, dad, siblings. Give me the story. Man, I have two sisters, much older, eight and ten years older. Um, were you a mistake? Were you, like, were, you, were you like, oops? Totally. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> My parents tried for a few years, weren't successful, and then eight years later, something like that, surprise. Oh, um, wow. All right. Yeah, surprise. Pretty funny. So your dad. <laughs> Here you go. Here's, here's, your dad, here's a personal one, too. He, um, oh, my cool. old man was a uh, nuclear physicist. Um, wow. Smart, smart, smart. So smart. He wow. actually got his PhD in physics in like two and a half years, and he was already out of school. 
and they they messaged him. They didn't have email back then. They got in touch with him, and they said, you, you forgot to do a class. And he said, well, I got my diploma, so whatever. Uh, so long, suckers. He was so fast, he graduated his Ph.D. in physics in record time. So smart guy. Ooh, still um, around? Is he still alive? Yeah, folks are still around. Um, but he's pretty straight arrow. But they, they told me, this is pretty funny. I, I hope they never listen to this podcast. Um, he goes, Ben, there's only one time in my life that I ever got stoned. And it was, uh, you know, the night you were conceived. So um, probably explain a lot. <laughs> uh, straight arrow. So pretty conservative family. So not if you partied when you were in high school, did you have to sneak around? You, you, you couldn't talk to mom and dad about it, huh? Yeah, I didn't really party all that much in high school, to be honest, man. Um, I was I was into sports. I was into sports. I was kind of focused okay. on my grades. And um, I I don't think I even took my first drink until like after my junior year of high school or something like that. Wow. Uh, but I was I was pretty focused. OK, how about in college? Did you loosen up in college a little bit? No, I listened up a lot in college. <laughs> I mean, you went to Notre Dame. You went to Notre Dame. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you went to a few parties. Oh man, I majored in drinking in Notre Dame. Yeah, I uh, once once sports was over, I uh, I really focused on it. Um, it's pretty funny, and uh, and lo and behold, right, my my grades suffered. I mean, like I I think I limped out with like a two nine. Um, you know, it was uh, I, I graduated, I got my degree, I got a job. I think I got what was important, but uh, I I did not sacrifice. I did not sacrifice. You know my my fun time for my studying time it's funny you mentioned the 2.9 because that's what i graduated with and my oldest son saw those papers in the safe one day we were going we were, we were going through the safe to get something i can't even remember my transcripts from there he's like dad he's like really 2.9 <laughs> my kids say the same thing they're like why do you tell me i have to get a 4.0 and i'm like <laughs> you just do you just do how did you pick it? Why Notre Dame? Was that, uh, did your parents go there or something? What, why, why'd you go there? I mean, it seems like a, uh, a different type of choice for, for a kid from New Mexico, I would think. Why Notre Dame? You know, see, my parents had this deal for all of us kids. They'll pay for us. To, and I'm blessed, you know, I'm pretty middle-class family, but blessed in that my parents had the means to at least afford college for us. Um, yeah, you know, and I still had some student loans, but by and large, they were able to, you know, afford most of college. But the deal was for all of us, my parents will help pay for college as long as we go out of state. Um, because they wanted us to, they wanted us to get out of New Mexico, to be honest, right? Um, but it's, um, they also wanted us to kind of go see the world a little bit, right? And not kind of get second home. And so, um, okay. I actually had, I just have a really early memory of probably five years old of my uncle, um, who had graduated not too long at that point, you know, from Notre Dame. Uh, and he had a national championship ring in fencing. And I just remember him talking about the, how much he loved his experience at the university of Notre Dame. And I fell in love with it at like five years old and decided, I think that's where I want to go. Okay. Very good. And, uh, your mom, by the way, I forgot to ask what, what she do for a living or did, did she was stay at home mom or did she have a career? No career. Yeah. Health educator. So she worked, uh, at the university system in, uh, in Albuquerque, um, and a health educator, you know, incredibly bright, incredibly driven woman. Um, but really focused on kind of helping, helping people make healthy choices in their lives. So, yeah, that's good. That's good. Put three kids through college. Then what the, uh, the sisters, what do they do? 
Yeah, I'm the only one in business, man. Um, my eldest sister is a physical therapist, and the middle sister is a anest uh, a veterinary anesthesiologist. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Wow. So, how where the entrepreneurial bug come from? Then, how did that uh, how how that happen? <laughs> I was mistaken in all the ways. In all the ways. Uh, um, yeah, seriously, and, that, and that's why I asked those family questions. You know, I'm trying to always kind of figure out like what where did this the, the you know how how that happen, Ben? What what now? You were you you seem like a very personable guy. Your people skills are obviously excellent. Communication. I mean, you could probably walk into a room and make friends with anybody. That's my read on you in the first five minutes. Uh, uh, so sales and business development for you was an easy, right? That was like, okay, yeah, this is, I'm right up my alley. But where'd the entrepreneurial, did, where'd that come from? Talk to me. You know, I started, most of it's just kind of by chance. I'd like to tell you, I, I had like a plan to get to Notre Dame and then I never had a plan after that. Um, okay. For the most part, as I went on my career, it kind of changed a little bit, but I started studying pre-med and psych, a double major at Notre Dame. And I very quickly realized that, you know, I didn't want to be a doctor and that I would never make any money being a psychologist. Um, and so okay. I switched over to business school and I love math being the, you know, the son of a, a nuclear physicist. I just always got math. I understood math. I really, I have that left brain mind. Um, math has always been really, really easy. And frankly, I've just really enjoyed it. And so I chose accounting as a major for no other reason than I, I like numbers and you deal in the numbers. Um, and Plus I you got it. You were, you, were, you were flunking out of the other classes anyway, so you had to switch over. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, that looks a lot easier. Um, <laughs> listen, my gra Notre Dame has an incredibly strong accounting program. My senior year, it was 1999 and the economy was roaring. So there was some macroeconomic you know, tailwinds, but 97% of my class had a job at graduation. Um, and so I, I also knew, you know, I was focusing a little bit on my party and a little bit of school. I knew that as long as I graduated, I'd probably have a pretty good job. So uh, it worked. Um, and so I started my career in public accounting and I, Ended up leaving and taking a sales job of all things after getting my yeah. CPA. Yeah, um, well, I, I noticed that on your LinkedIn profile. I see that. I mean, did you get recruited by Price Waterhouse, by the way, right out of school? I did. Um, okay. Yep, okay. did my internships, went to Price Waterhouse. Um, okay. Love, love, love my time there. Was planning to become a partner in the firm, um, but ended up ended up deciding it was time to leave. Had a handful of you know, senior manager, controller opportunities at companies, but one sales job because my roommate's dad had an in for me at this company and he wow. said, I'll take a flyer on you. And so I figured if that didn't work, I can go back to accounting. And to your point, um, I I ended up being, you know, relatively successful at sales, you know, I'm being oh, I to could, absolutely. talk to people. And, I could yeah. see it right away. Was your friend's dad, did he tell you, was, was he like, Ben, listen, you need to be in sales. Like, you, come on now. Were you getting pushed in that direction? Um, no, no, I, I, I'd like to say so, but I, it was more so I was doing the pushing. I was like, come on, just take a flyer on me. Okay. I can do this, right? Like I'm really good with clients. You know, you, you, you try to pretend like you're selling an accounting. I'm selling projects. I'm not really selling projects. I'm just doing accounting, but I sold him on that. And so he, right. he took the flyer on me. 
All right. And then you had a nice uh, career. So you had a few stops along the way. We don't have to touch on all of them, but did you start to think at some point, I want to own my own business. I want to start a business. How did that, how did that develop for you? You know, it was that move into sales where I, you really are to a certain degree, you're your own CEO, right? right? You own your own book of business, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, When you get up in the morning, there's not really many people that have to push it. Like it's up to you. You got to pick up the phone. You got to dial for dollars. You got to drive around to the really you know, shitty territory that they gave me and go knock on doors, right? And, and try to tell people, do you need to change your phone system? Um, you have to be intrinsically motivated. And honestly, I think generally in sales, you don't necessarily get like a ton of support. You're, you're kind of on your own. You really have to go just make your way. And so it was there that I realized, man, I maybe I have what it takes to... Okay. You know, run an organization. So it was there that the dream started to germinate, especially once I realized I had a really solid financial background. I also had found success in front of the house in sales. I thought, you know, it'd be really interesting to go make a run at CEO someday. Um, and so that had kind of become the dream is I wanted to, you know, either start a company, buy a company, or maybe get maybe get promoted up to the CEO job. The problem is I tell people I, you know, it's pretty left brain as an accountant. So I'd sit back and I'd think, come up with an idea, come up with an idea, come up with an idea, and just nothing would happen. And so I I kind of resigned myself to the fact in my mid to late twenties, all right, maybe I'll just have to buy a business one day, or maybe I can get promoted up to that CEO seat. Um Yeah. Um And, and were you ahead. married at the, were you married at when did you get married? When did you start the family? Where where did that play along in this timeline? Got married in the late 20s, in my late 20s, um, out in San Francisco. Um, we had actually met at the company at, at, at Public Accounting, fishing off the company pier. So we were both accountants and both went into sales, of all things. Um, and then started having kids in my my early 30s, had my son in San Francisco. And then um, we up and moved to Denver, Colorado, and had my daughter there and two kids. Okay, very good. All right. So tell me, uh, how does Velocity Global come about? Give me, give me the story. And, and, and I'm curious as to how it ties into the move to Denver and conversation with your wife when you say, hey, I'm quitting my job and starting this company. <laughs> so I was, I was working. I'm a first time entrepreneur of Velocity Global, right? So every yes. experience yes. before this yes. was, yes. Uh, you know, I was an employee. Um, so I was an employee at this company and I was kind of pigeonholed in my job. Um, I was having a tremendous amount of success. You know, everybody was telling me that, but I was also seeing it myself. Like I was having a tremendous amount of success. I was driving a lot of initiatives, but I just, it was very, very clear. I was not going to get kind of promoted to that next level. That next level was the executive suite. Um, the person above me was in that role. And the culture of that company was to hire from the outside. It just was not to give people opportunities to grow into a role. Um, and rewind a year or two, I had moved to Denver and I looked around, and this is 2010, I looked around 
Um, and I said, you know, if this job ever ends, I should at least see what's going on here in town. So if there's interesting opportunities and I just, especially leave in San Francisco, I just didn't find anything interesting. Like this is, this place is in 2010, there just wasn't a whole lot happening in Denver. Um, so the idea kind of started to germinate that, man, if I ever leave this, maybe I'd have to think about starting my own thing. As luck would have it, I was really, really struggling with kind of my current job of just knowing I was going to be stuck in this position. As a matter of fact, I kept coming to the the founder with all these ideas, and he literally kept saying, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, were you reporting to the founder at that time? Was there somebody between you and the founder? There was somebody between us and the founder. All right. Yeah, All right. somebody All right. between me. Um, yeah, you're but just kept being, yeah. just just keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Like, well, I don't want to keep doing what I'm doing. I want to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and lo and behold, I was sitting across from an executive of a company, and they basically said, all right, I see what you're selling me and I see what you guys have to offer, but that's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is X. And it was basically the business model that we now do at Velocity Global. Uh, and I thought, gosh, that's really interesting. We don't do that. And at the time, I ran global partnerships for us. So I said, all right, we don't do it. Let me go look around and see if there is somebody offering this product. Mm. And I searched high and low and there was nobody. Nobody mm. on the planet mm. was doing this. Um, and over the next month or two, that same conversation came up like a half dozen times with different executives at companies. And so I went to our founder and I said, Hey man, um, yeah. <laughs> there's demand, right? Like, like they're looking for, they don't quite know how to articulate it, but this is what they're looking for mm. and nobody's doing it. Let's be in this space. And, you know, Steve, you and I are talking today because he decided he wasn't interested. Um, <laughs> And it was just that confluence of I was looking for that next challenge for me professionally. Yeah. Um, I was tired of being told, just keep doing what you're doing. I knew there was an opportunity here. I knew there was nobody else doing it. And so it was a chance to kind of manifest a dream. That's great. Did you draw it up and then go back to those those uh, customers and say, hey, by the way, I'm I'm leaving. I'm starting my own thing. Can you be my first client? Did you kind of orchestrate that while you were still employed? Talk, how'd that work? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tried to be, I shouldn't even say try to be, I was, I believe in doing what you say you're supposed to do. Right. And I signed a contract that said I would not compete and I had a bunch of, well, contacts. Yeah, but it's not, yeah, but it's not competing. It's a different service. It's not competing. Now, okay. ironically, you know, that founder said, uh, I said, all right, you don't want to be in this space. I'm going to leave and I'm going to start this thing. And he goes, well, you have a one year non-compete. And I said, well, you just said you don't want to be in this space. What are you? So, so it's not competitive. But then again, there were a lot of contacts I made okay. doing, you know, business on behalf of that company. And so I wanted to do the right thing. And so... You know, I, I put my messaging out there all over LinkedIn, you know, and okay. I networked. And if you happen to network me into, you know, somebody who I had to talk with previously, great. We've got that relationship. But I, you know, could I have grown faster, quicker if I had kind of used that Rolodex I had created at that previous company? For sure. But I wanted to, okay. it didn't feel okay. right. Did you start your company on weekends and nights while you were still employed or did you just quit cold, boom, and, and went for it? 
So the longer story is I convinced him, I said, let me work kind of nights and weekends on this and I'll come back to you with a business proposition. So that was about six months. And so while I did my day job at this company, and so I kind of shortcutted part of the story at the very end, I came back to him like, okay, after, you know, six months of kind of nights and weekends, here's the plan. And this is what it looks like. And that's when he said he wasn't interested. Well, at that point I had a fully baked plan, a model, but because of, you know, he wanted me to, he was going to enforce my non-compete uh, for a year. I went and took another a job with another company and I was relatively certain I'd start Velocity Global, but I wasn't a hundred percent certain. So I went and I worked at this company, but I got to tell you three months in, it's all I could think about. And so okay, I worked at that on, company on, for a year. Oh, Go ahead. Oh, okay. Okay. I want to make sure I understand the time. This will be good for the aspiring entrepreneurs. When you went to this guy, though, did you were you going to make him a partner? Did you say, look, I'm looking for an investment? Were you hoping he would invest and help you get this started? Was that the plan? So I did not look for an investment um, because it goes back to my accounting days, right? I did the math and I put together a model and I realized that as long as I just didn't pay myself a salary for like 12 or 18 months and I landed clients within the first, you know, six months of the business at certain levels, that it could be sustainable and I could do it self-funded. Well, why did you pitch him though? What were you pitching him for? Were you pitching him for an opportunity? to partner. So, all right, you're not going to be in this space. I will, I'll stay out of your space. Let's try business to each other. I see. Okay. All right. I got it. I got it. All right. Yep. So then you, you told him, okay, I got to go, man. See you. You're not interested. And you took, why didn't you just start the company then? Why take the other job? You didn't have enough money in savings. You weren't ready for it financially. Yeah. What, okay. uh, broke, man. I couldn't, okay. I couldn't okay. afford to, I couldn't <laughs> fight a lawsuit. I had no money. Yeah. But your dad was a nuclear physicist. Didn't you do, Hey dad, look, come on, invest. Did you call your folks? They worked for the government, man. We had, they spent all their money on my Notre Dame education, man. And, <laughs> All right. So we didn't have so, to go All right. So you're at home. Now, at this point, you have kids. Did you have kids then yet or no? I did. I had okay. – let me try to do the math here. I think I had both kids. Yeah, because my daughter's 11 now, and the business is eight and a half years old. So I had both kids. Uh, I know what happened. So what happened was you told your wife, I'm going to go start this. I'm going to quit my job and start this business. She's like, no. She's like, we got two kids at home. You're going to go get another job. <laughs> You're going to leave a perfectly good paying job <laughs> to not take a salary for a year on something yeah. that you don't even know. There's not even a business for this. You're trying to create this out of thin air. Yeah, that's exactly how it went. That's nice, honey. That's nice, honey. I support you. Please. Yeah, yeah. That's how it went with my so wife. Too. Yeah. I left and I took a job at that company. Not certain all I right. start this business, but for the all next right. year on nights and weekends, I kind of okay. put all the pieces together. But mm -hmm. I also spent the, you know, the, for the next six months, you know, putting my, the full court press on my wife to get her to say yes. Right. Um, <laughs> obviously I did. And she'll tell you to this day, she's like, yeah, I'm glad you talked me into it. That's great. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Did you, and then did you form Velocity Global while the other job was still in place and kind of get it going a little bit? The reason I'm asking this transition piece, Ben, is because, you know, we've had over 250 guests on the podcast and I got to tell you, it's always that moment, right? It's always the, it's always that turning point. Like, okay, if I file my LLC, am I going to work on this on the weekends and how do I pay my mortgage? And am I going to quit when I'm, how, am I going to cash in my 401k? Like how do I make that turn? Right. And so that's why I'm kind of pushing you on the specifics. So what, what you a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, 
<laughs> I realized this was a thing in December 2012. All right. I, January 2013, I was still employed at the best company. January 2013, um, I became clear I needed to go approach the CEO. So I got time on his calendar the first week of February. And I was going to fly out to Baltimore, Maryland, or Annapolis, Maryland, to uh, to go pitch him on it. I realized a couple of weeks before that if he told me no, but I said, all right, let's partner on this, I needed to be ready to go. So I filed my articles of incorporation on January 31st, 2013, because, and I remember being terrified, right? I didn't even know how to do this. I had a friend set it up for me. I had no idea what I was doing, but... Thankfully, in Colorado, it's very, very easy to, to start a business. Matter of fact, it costs you $1 right now, yeah, right? thanks yeah. to Governor Polis, to, yeah. to, to launch a company in Colorado. Um, but we, uh, so I had, I formed my articles of incorporation on January 31st, and like a week later, I had that meeting. In case he said yes, in case he said, no, I'm not interested, but yes, I'll partner with you, I needed to be ready to go. Oh, all right. But you're not a tech guy. And you, you now you're you're starting to basically a tech company. So, but you're not you're not a you're not a software engineer. You don't know how to code. <laughs> so, right. So you, you know this is I I think this is so interesting. I think you can look at our story, and and this is how sectors. This is how categories mature. All right. So this thing didn't exist before we launched Velocity Global. Right. We were the first to market. Nobody knew how to do something like this. So you can't necessarily just go throw tech at it because you're dealing in some old world systems. We're talking yes. about what we do is we help companies employ people everywhere. Yep. And so you have to have boots on the ground. You have to have people who sometimes walk into government offices and register employees for like social security and pension and those sort of things. It was a very service type business kind of right out of the gates. You couldn't just throw tech at it. Now, mm. What has happened over time is once we've established this is a real industry, there has started being venture capital investment which has started coming in, which just started having kind of tech entrepreneurs jump in and say, oh, well, don't, you know, yes, you can do this, but we're just going to use tech. And so anyway, all of us are moving down kind of the tech spectrum now. Um, but it took us for the first four or five years of the business. We were truly a services company. Interesting. Um but today, this very day, absolutely, it's very much become a tech business. Okay. Give us the overview. Uh, give us the elevator pitch for Velocity Global as it stands today for people that may not have, have, have heard of the company. And by the way, it's velocityglobal.com for the listeners. Give us the, the company pitch as it stands today. Go for it. What we do is we enable people to employ anywhere. Right. And and our tagline is simplify work literally anywhere. Um, and so if you're looking to bring on an employee, whether in a different state or a different country, we have a platform to be able to do that. Right. So you can get their employment contract, pay them payroll, get them benefits, you know, the entire employee employment experience, as well as for the company side, that employment experience. And so let's say you're a uh, you know, a 50 person, 100 person tech company. You can also be a 100,000 person tech company. We have many of those as our clients as well. But, you know, 100 person tech company, and you have one or two employees that you want to hire kind of outside of the jurisdiction where you've registered, that's what our model does, right? So it allows you to onboard them, pay them, employ them. Does it take care of the legal stuff? Any, any, I don't have to worry Absolutely. about it. Okay. 
All right. So, so I can hire somebody in Brazil for, I can hire a recruiter in Brazil. And you, if I use your platform, I just sign up for your service and you take care of all that for me. That's it. That's you, you 100% run, what it is. You, you run payroll for me too, right? You run, you run, you do it yep. all. They, uh, if a contractor puts in their hours, you run payroll. It, I don't have to worry about anything. I, I had a friend best describe it once because Ben, my job is to find the very best talent and then make them be incredibly successful within the confines of my business. That which we do. If you take care of everything else, I will pay you a handsome sum. And that is that is what we do. It's literally all the compliance, it's all the payroll, you know, it's everything you need from the company side as well as the employee side. Is it legal for me to hire, uh, to pay an employee from Brazil if my company's based in the U.S.? I guess I can, as long as I have all the right paperwork filled out. So that actually is why the whole model exists, is, you know, you can't be a you, uh, you can't be an employee in Brazil of a U.S. company. Um, you have to be an employee of a Brazilian company because okay. there's no way here in the U.S. that we can contribute to the healthcare system, you know, to the pension system. Right. That all comes with like company registrations. And frankly, the you know, the local labor laws want a neck to grab in case things don't go right. And so you have to register in those countries. Before Velocity Global, you had to go through, if you were to set up a company in Brazil, it would take you a year before you could hire your first employee. Interesting. Now, with this model, it's going to cost you literally pennies on the dollar as opposed to doing it the old-fashioned way of setting up a company. You can employ them in a matter of like a week. You've already got your payroll taken care of. You're getting their payroll spends in Brazilian reals. You know, they're contributing to the pension program. It's all taken care of. Well, does this replace QuickBooks if I'm running payroll and all that? Or, or I know I'm, if you use QuickBooks for your accounting, let's set, set that aside. I'm guessing you don't do that. But if I'm running payroll through that, can I eliminate that that service through QuickBooks and just run all my payroll through through your service? That's exactly right. Okay. And... If, if, what else does it do for me? Can, can it, can it, um, it can't do accounting, can it? It can't close my books for me, can it? <laughs> no, so we, we don't, we stay out of the whole accounting piece because honestly, right. you know, if you're, if we're just dealing with contractors or full-time employees on our platform, you typically don't have as a company local bookkeeping requirements. Um, so mm -hmm. it saves you from that whole process. So yeah, we stay out of that. Um, but you know, as you look down the road, um, as you look down the road and down in the future, more and more it's becoming table stakes and just a given that through us or, you know, now a handful of competitors that have entered the space that we can do this employment everywhere. You know, next companies are looking for, all right, well, how do you provide world-class benefits for my employees? How do yes. you, how yes. do you help me source, right? We're never going to replace recruiters but we're going to partner with recruiters, right? And we'll have some really interesting tech along the lines too, where we can partner with recruiters and using AI and machine learning, finding you the very best candidate, regardless of under which star they were born. And then with a click of a button, you can just click hire now. I love this. You know, so how about this? So we recently had a client that, um, as a recruiting firm, Riderflex, we had a client that said, hey, look, can you just house the contractor's as employees on your side. And, and I said, well, that's not really our model. That's not really what we do. Right. And so I had to find this third party 
How's the contractors over there? Can you take care of that for me? That's it. Call Velocity <laughs> Global next time. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that offline. Sure. Uh, yeah, because we're, because we're, because I'm, I, I look at, let's, can you talk about the business model, the fees, how you sign up, what it costs me? Like if, if you were pitching me, uh, is yeah. it, is it, yeah, go for it. Steve, it's just, it's super simple, man. It is a platform to employ people anywhere. And so if you have employees that are moving from one state to the next or moving from one country to the next, or you come across this candidate in a state or a country where you're not registered, it's a per employee per month, like you per, empl right? per employee per month, per, per, per employee it. per month. That's it. Can you, can you, come with, can you tell the listeners what the price is or you can't go into that on this podcast? Um, you know, we're always messing with pricing, so I wouldn't want to put something out there that uh, gets changed, but it's, it is reasonable and it's worth every dollar. I can tell you that much. Does it depend on how many employees I sign up? Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, you know, the, the cost to, the cost to do this, once you've kind of built out that tech platform, right, the cost to do it for more employees is oftentimes kind of less. That said, we're dealing with employment. Um, and we're dealing with employment liabilities and two employees are twice the amount of employment liabilities of one employee. Right. And so you get certain economies of scale, but in certain ways you don't as well. Do you take care of the unemployment stuff? Do you take care of we sure do. I'm out for COVID, whatever. I mean, you know, do you, is that, is that my thing or do that? Do I, when the, when they call me, I'm like, no, 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 you don't actually, you're not my employee. Call Ben. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a combination, right? It's a combination. So we'll help you, you know, Steve, your employees out with COVID. Here's what you need to know if your employee comes down with COVID in Italy. By the way, if your employee came down for a couple of years, if your employee came down with COVID in, um, in Italy, they literally couldn't be fired like regardless. And so, you know, there's really nuanced and interesting, not that you didn't, you know, terminate employees simply because they had COVID, but you could not, no matter what the circumstances were, you could not terminate that individual. And so that's what we're here for to help you with. And we're also here for the employee. The employee calls and says, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm feeling really ill. What do I need to know? Well, here's your leave policy, right? Mm -hmm. um, how so. do you, how do you find the experts on all this HR shit across the globe? Do you have third parties that you're leaning on for that? Or do you have employees in all these countries that are helping you with all this stuff? You know, it's all the above. We have our own employees in 52 countries. Um, we have uh, internal knowledge base, um, you know, which we do significant and extensive work on and have almost 10 years of experience populating, right? So incredible uh, knowledge within that knowledge base, which we leverage every single day. We have global relationships with the top accounting firms, the top law firms. Um, and then we also do some, some pretty unique things around, um, you know, sourcing that data from kind of open sourcing rules, law changes, as I said, that we're always up to date. Interesting. Interesting. Do you provide any HR services? Like, Hey, Hey Ben, I'm having a problem with Mary. Uh, I don't know what to do with her. Should I write her up? Blah, blah, blah. Do you do any of that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, really? For sure. Okay. okay. As well. Yeah. Uh, all right. But yeah. no, no recruit, no recruiting services. Sounds like you need a partner for that. I know this really cool growing recruiting. Firm. You know, a good one. Yeah. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about. You know? We got a lot to talk about, but you know, and I appreciate you asking about the business. Uh, I really do. Um, 
But it's interesting. I, I, if you don't mind, I kind of want to go back. We were just kind of starting to head down a path about how much time you spend when you're launching that business. And, and I think this is really important. I think it's just, yeah. I mean, I'll share my own personal yeah. experience, but yeah. please. I mean, I, I have, I know so many people who have like, yes, I've got this business. Oh, do you work on a full-time? No, no, no. I've got this full-time job, but I spend a few hours here and then I work on it. Those businesses yeah. never take off. Right. I just never once. And I'm sure there's uh, there's other examples out there. But in my little sphere, I've never seen those businesses take off. Now, I have also seen businesses where you have committed 100 percent of your waking hours to that have also failed. Yes. But I am just I'm convinced like that if you're if you're really passionate about this thing, if you really want to go and you got to give it a run, you got to throw yourself into it fully. Um, and I know it's easier said than done. And I happen to be in a situation where we tightened our belts in a really, really big way, but we were able to live off my wife's salary for 18 months while I didn't take one. So, you know, maybe not everybody's in that position. Um, and we went into some debt during that time, but it was a, you know, a calculated risk. And, and if I hadn't done that, we would not have, you know, Somebody else would have come along and launched yes. a business like this, and somebody you you know you'd be interviewing somebody else right now. Eighteen months, let that sink in, listeners. Eighteen months didn't get paid, right? I mean, that's what it takes. Sometimes it, it's even longer than that. Uh, I remember, yes, yeah, you know, same thing. I lived off my wife's salary first six months. I didn't pay myself anything. First twenty four months, I think I paid myself like thirty grand or something. I can't even totally. Remember. Yes, <laughs> it was peanuts, man. It was peanuts. 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 And I was making really good money as an executive before I quit, too. <laughs> I know. Up. Me, too. I would have a great income. And it was just all gone. And it's funny. I have an aunt who has owned her own business for a long time. And about six or 12, 12 months probably into the business, she goes, so how's the business going? And I said, we have been turned a profit since day one. And she goes, have you paid yourself yet? And I said, no. And she said, then you're not profitable. Well, it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah, it depends. By the way, if you're taking on, uh, I don't know how much you can share. I know it's a private company, but do you want to talk about investors or how much cash you're taking on? And are you in a cash raise? You want to talk about any of that? Share anything with us? Yeah, man. Happy to talk about it. Um, that which I can at least. Um, you know, we're, a, I think, a fascinating story. The first seven years of the business, we were totally bootstrapped, right? And and again, by bootstrapped, you know, I just didn't take a salary for 18 months. Mm -hmm. You know, my first employees, you know, their salary was like 30 grand, 60 grand. I mean, just nothing, right? Totally peanuts. We were all kind of committed to turning this thing into something big. And with scale, we've been able to move that over time, right? I mean, now my executives, in fact, my whole company is paid at a very different level than we ever used to be. <laughs> but um but we we bootstrapped this business over the first seven years to over a hundred million in revenue. Wow, um, it, it's fantastic. really unusual. You yeah. never, you never. Let me. Okay, hold on. Let me just take. Let me just take a breath right there. You got to a hundred million in revenue without taking any VC or PE money. Profitable every year. Wow. Okay. Holy yep. cow. Uh. Well. <laughs> Guess what? You have the investors knocking on your door now because they want to give you money. They're trying to give you money. <laughs> they, they are. So um, we have now done. So that was the first seven years. We're about eight and a half years in. Over the last 18 months, we actually now have done two rounds of raise. 
Um, so we um, raised a hundred million um, in twenty early twenty twenty one, and we used those funds to actually do a couple acquisitions because we didn't have the balance sheet to do those ourselves. Um, and was hundred million early, from was hundred million from one firm or from one firm? Can you mention firm. who that is? Can you mention? Yep, FFL Partners. Um, they're a mid market private equity shop out of San Francisco. Um, yeah, it's it, it's like a really strange journey to be self-funded to 100 million in revenue and then go take on private equity. And then this last round was more traditional VC. So it's like a very almost kind of like unusual and backward story. And for entrepreneurs listening, it is in pros and cons to it. The Some of the cons are trying to get VCs to understand mm when you don't follow the, the quote unquote script that you're supposed mm -hmm. to follow, mm -hmm. like we had headwinds in the capital raise because it was just like, well, why are we talking? You just raised private equity money. I'm like, guys, okay, I know it doesn't follow like the exact same story that every other, you know, VC backed company has followed, but look, and so, you know, obviously eventually we got there, but, but the pros are, you know, we took a look at, the average employee stock holdings of okay. companies in the last 18 months that have all raised a B round and mm -hmm. we have more than double. So said another way, because we were able to stay self-funded for so long, mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. employees, our employees at Velocity Global have more than 2X the average, um, actually anybody else, more than 2X anybody else in terms of equity holdings in the business because we were able to give back to our employees because we didn't have outside investors. That's impressive. Are you tell, Are you saying that the VC and the PE firms are not in control of the cap table? I figured, I figured you had given up control uh, after taking on that much money. No, that's correct. So we raised a hundred million beginning of last year and gave a, you know, sold a portion of the business. We raised another 400 million um, early part of this year um, from more kind of traditional VC investors. But uh, I and we still own over 50% of the business. What? Oh, oh my God. Okay. We should have done this one over bourbon or something. I mean, holy ah. shit. You're telling me you've raised $500 million and you're still in control of the cap table. Holy shit. Let the, all right. All right. Entrepreneurs. If you ever want to any aspiring entrepreneurs out there, if you ever want to know how to do it, here you go right here. Here you go. You know how many people have been on this show and they've taken money from people. And there was like, Oh my God, Steve taking that money from the VC firm is the worst thing I've ever done. Cause now they're in control of the business and blah, blah, blah. Wow, bro. Okay. I, I, I had I had a really oh. funny moment. I had a really funny moment um year ago where you know I try to keep tabs on what's going on in the market and some others. And um there was another company who was kind of making some some noise about maybe putting our businesses together. And so, okay. you know, you always take those conversations and you have you went to drinks, you went to drinks with the guy, you had drinks with the guy. That's right. Um and so we talked about what a combination would look like. And, you know, obviously that, that deal hasn't happened, but um, we know what a combination would look like. And once they realized, you know, how much, you know, we own, it quickly became, oh my God, you would own, you know, in this combined business five times more than I do. Right. Um, and I said, well, yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons to taking capital so early. So, okay. Well now, all right, you're still in control, but now that you have taken that cash, 
life is a little bit different for you. Not as different as it would have been if you would have lost control, but it is a little different. Now you got, you got people in your ear a little bit that you'd never had to deal with before. Um, are they pushing you towards, okay, here's our whiteboarded plan. And when we get to here, we're going to sell to this company in there. You know, is it all dialed in for a potential sell? Uh, what, what, what's the, what's the plan then? Yeah, we're fortunate in that we have a lot of money on the balance sheet um, and we're with the exception of 2022, where we actually pulled kind of a bunch of levers for the first time, tried some different things. We moved into the red for the first time as a company. We're going to swing back into profitability next year. Was that because um, of, of acquisitions? Was that because of acquisitions or software? Or what was that? Now we just said, you know, let's go do some really interesting things from like a sales and marketing perspective. Um, okay. A lot of them that were successful, some of them that were not. Um, okay. And so it was a wonderful exercise. Um, it did move right. us kind of quickly into a burn, uh, not quickly into burn, but a little bit into a burn. But we're actually pulling right back out of that middle of next year. I just said, so, hold on, hold on. I'm just, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. The PE and the VC guys are like, Ben. For nine years, you're profitable, and we give you all this fucking money, and then you, in 2022, you lose cash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be very clear, it was the private equity guys saying that, not the VC guys saying that. Okay, um, yeah. oh, just kidding. Although, but yeah, no, you're right. But now the VC guys are going, well, the VC guys have completely changed their stripes, and they're going, you know, you really ought to be profitable. And I'm like, wow, if those words ever escape What are you your talking lips? about? You're, you're, you're VC. You want me to grow. That means lose money. What are you, what are you saying? What, what, That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, I, I, uh, I have a great relationship with our investors. You know, we hand selected our investors, uh, and, and those who sit on the board are just, they're amazing. Okay. They drive okay. us and they drive me. They've been great partners for us, okay. great, great partners okay. for us. Um, and we are totally aligned kind of where we're heading this uh, with this company. We are very blessed and fortunate in that, you know, we're not going to be burning cash for the foreseeable future. Um, okay. you know, we have a really, really strong balance sheet. And so, you know, again, not at this very moment, technically not profitable, but right around the corner, you know, swinging right back into profitability. And so right. we're in a great position to kind of choose our own adventure after that. I got an idea. I got an idea. Before you. you before you find a buyer, what you need to do is you need to acquire a really good recruiting firm to add that to your suite of services, get that in the mix. <laughs> and then, you know, you got even more to offer. I'm thinking that might be, we, we should, we should chat about that. <laughs> I like that. If you know any recruiting <laughs> firms, you should tell me about that. That's right. Uh, um, if you, that's pretty uh, cool. if so you do have some competitors, but they're all smaller and people you're thinking you, you might acquire, or you just going to crush them. What, what's the deal with the competition? You know, we've had a, we've had a, I have three come to mind of uh, competitors Okay. who in the last five years have entered the space, have taken on an absolute ton of capital. And in, in their cases, have actually done some good stuff with it. And so, okay. uh, in fact, there, there's probably one in particular that um, they took on an absolute ton of money and they, they've done a very good job of allocating right. that capital, in my opinion. Um, they're the ones we kind of look at most closely, but um, you know, it's fortunate to kind of be in the leader position That's because great. you can watch and you can observe and you can react and um, you can kind of drive the narrative. Okay. We're running out of time. So I'm going to ask you a couple of last minute questions here. Uh, what keeps you up at night the most right now? What, 
as an entrepreneur and a CEO and chairman, uh, there's always things that keep you up at night, but <laughs> what keeps you up the most, like routinely, what, what do you stress about the most right now? The two things I stress about the most are one is just simply execution, um, executional risk. I, I am so blessed of this little industry that we stumbled across um, and the team that we've put together, you know, the, the TAM in front of us is so huge. I mean, we're at, you know, hundreds of millions of revenue today. And I feel like, Steve, I feel like we're literally just getting started. Like the TAM is so large in front of us. So it's not an issue of, are we going to run a client? Are we going to run opportunities? It's an issue of, you know, can we execute to the very best of our ability? So okay. um, fortunately, I have an amazing team in place. I mean, my COO is from Uber, my chief people officer is from Cornerstone, my Chief technology officers from Intuit. My product leader is from LinkedIn. You know, you kind of run down this list. Um, I've got the right people. We just need to execute. Um, yep. It's then, scary. Yeah. God. Yeah, it's scary when you're growing that fast. Um, yeah, you're always worried about the, the, the wheels coming off the, the bus because you're moving down the, the highway so fast. Yeah, totally get it. What was the second thing you were going to mention? Um, balance. Balance, for your life you know? for you for you personally yeah yeah for me personally um yeah i was uh you know just driving my son the other day to um to a baseball pra a baseball practice and we we're in the car and we were just kind of talking and he's 14 so the fact that we get to talk and he even talks to me a little bit is still pretty good um <laughs> but you know we were talking about and he's actually asking a little bit about the business and kind of what's coming up and i was like man we're coming into a period where i'm gonna have to kind of really grind for a little bit um and uh you know he basically said you know dad i wish we wish we had a little more time together oh man that's um, tough that, that stings. That stings. It stings, man. Um, and I've been, you know, that's the thing. Operational excellence keeps me up at night, but it's it's that balance that keeps me up even more, right? Is uh, yes. they're they're hard trade offs. Yeah, they really are. Um, I would encourage you, as a older than you guy who already has granddaughters, um, yeah, that fourteen to eighteen, especially if they're in sports and activities or whatever. Man, that four years goes by super fast, Ben. And yeah. uh, and I, I and I would encourage you not to miss. I would I try to go to everything you can go to because I'm telling you, there will be a moment where you're they're 19, 20, and it's over. Like there are they're gone. You know, they're off to school, and you can't you can't go back. You can't press rewind. You can't be like, damn, I really wish I would have gone to that one game when he was a junior and blah blah blah. Because you can't you can't go back. Like you cannot go back. And so uh, yeah. How, how do you do Like, can you do it? Can you, yeah, I, I mean, can, can you run and lead an organization from hundreds of millions to multi-billions in revenue and be at every one of those games? I think you can be at most of them if you set the priorities. I think, especially if, if you have the right talent, by the way, the talent that you picked off didn't sound cheap. So <laughs> um, yeah, they're I'm not guessing... working for thirty grand a year anymore. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, that that talent sounded expensive, so I'd be like, "Hey guys, uh, listen, uh, I'm paying you a shit ton of money, so I'm going to be over here at the softball game, and don't fuck it up." <laughs> 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 uh, 
because uh, because I, I do that now. I've gotten much much more balanced with it myself uh, mm. now at this age, to where I will I will take time off, and I say to myself, I'm going to do the best I can to run rider flex, and have a balanced life, and 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 it is what it is. I'm not gonna. I've learned that killing myself and not having a balance, it's not healthy mentally, physically. You know, you start drinking too much, you, you, whatever, your vices come into play. So I would encourage everybody listening to have a balance. It's it's just not worth it. almost killed myself back when I was in my 40s. And I'm not, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. Last question. I know we're out of time. Very last question. If you had to define your core purpose in life right now, moving forward, what is that? Like, what is the overall core purpose? And and not just like, okay, take care of my family. Okay, let's set that aside. Of course, take care of your family. Yes, that's a no-brainer. But beyond your family and just taking care of them, what is what is Ben's core purpose? I, I I can rattle this off right off the top of my head because it is unchanged from a decade ago when I sat across from a coach. And it was honestly one of the things that gave me the freedom and flexibility to kind of mentally get to a place of starting this company is we went through this exercise of, you know, fast forward 20 years, fast forward to my deathbed, wherever it happens to be, you know, what are the top things that are most important to me? What do I, what was my purpose? What did I accomplish? And number one was to take care of my family, right? So that's number one, take care of my family. Number two was to give back to the community in which I live and work. And number three was to provide a once in a professional career opportunity to everybody I work with. Well, you're doing all three. To a certain degree, right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'll tell you, my son in the car the other day, right? Dad, I wish we had yes. more time together, right? I mean, I've, I have been successful in putting food on the table and a roof over our head. Um, but, you know, am I, am I giving back to my family kind of everything that they need? Um, I, we have given a truly right. kind of once a professional career opportunity to our employees. But think about what's coming next. Like our work is not done there. And in terms of giving back to the community, um, we do a lot, but man, there's so much more that we can do too. So I think it's, it's never ending. Well, congratulations on what you have built, my friend. I mean, really, I mean, some of the numbers you rattled off, you rattled off earlier. I, I mean, wow. I, I, I haven't, well, I have not had a guest that got a company to a hundred million dollars without raising cash. I, that's the first. Yeah, so, I mean, wow. Really impressive. Congratulations. And just one more time, uh, you know, for the listeners, I want to make sure Velocity Global, VelocityGlobal.com. And of course, Ben Wright loves for you to send him uh, LinkedIn connection requests so that you can then pitch him things to try to get him to That's buy. Right. He loves that. Just send him a bunch of those. Uh, I'll put his personal address and phone number in the uh, post. <laughs> uh, appreciate you sharing your story on the Rider Flex podcast, my friend. Thank you. Steve, it's been a true pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you.